and welcome to Chatman and Robin. I'm Max Peterson. And I'm Bert. And I'm Max Peterson. <laughs> uh, pardon, I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, pardon the, the lo-fi, we're doing a special lo-fi episode of Chatman and Robin today. Um, I was actually thinking about this just now while I was taking Trin out to poop, um, which I would like to share with all of you at home. Um, I've, I don't know, I've listened to podcasts that were recorded on iPhones before. So this is, we're just doing it quick and dirty. We're using the, we're still using the Zoom like we usually do. We're just using the onboard mics tonight instead of, um, instead of the studio mics for a couple of reasons. The table is currently, um, sorry, it is drifted over with art supplies. Um, we want to tell them, sorry, a little, not sorry. Tell them, tell them a little bit. Well, I mean, it's art for me, so I'm happy, but do you want to tell them a little bit about what that is? Um, well, I'm working on, uh, art, cover art for lo-fi lullabies. Um, it's almost done. I just have to do a little bit more stuff. Have you decided? I've been putting up kind of like work in progress photos Uh up on my website. Um, uh, putting them on the the lo-fi lullabies section under music, but is she going to have black hair or not? Do we know? I don't know yet. Don't bother (laughs) me. I won't bother. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. Old curmudgeon Peterson. <laughs> yeah, I'll start beating you with a paintbrush. That's fine. Um, what other art are you working on right well, these working, days? I'm working on the pussy board. I just started painting it last night. How's it coming out? You. It looks fucking sexy. <laughs> it looks like. I mean, beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, it looks. <laughs> uh, it is powerful. It's a powerful, beautiful image, representative of. It's like a perfect flower. It's. <laughs> it's a pussy on a board. All right. Um, oh, why am I pushing buttons? Stop pushing buttons, Max. I'm sorry, everybody at home. Um, um, but no, actually, when I was doing it, um, I was kind of falling in love with that process again. Which? Um, painting it, yeah. No, I fucking hate acrylics. (laughs) But, um, just painting something like that that's so beautiful and so intimate, um, it just... I don't know. It was sort of like my love letter to the vagina. <laughs> Your love letter to the vagina. To the vagina. Have you painted? What have you painted stuff like this before? You said no. falling. You said you started falling back in love with it. Yeah, like the pro- just the process of painting. Like the piece that I'm doing for you right now is stressing me out. Why? It's like because fucking shut up. Sexy and cool. Oh. Weird. I hate it. I've been looking chip. at it for so long. I just want it to. So you just have to finish it at this point. Yes. You just have to like sit Stop down. Stop talking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, for my, Sorry, you'll be happy to know. For my next uh, EP, Sam is doing the cover. I want to. I'm gonna try and get Lauren to do um, like photographs for the back cover and interior cover. Um. Yeah, of her with lunch meat all over her face, probably. Yes. I don't know. I'm not sure what I'll do, but it'll okay. be gross because it's a serial killer country album. Um, the other I feel reason, like that would be right up her alley. Lunch meat on her face or serial Those killer country southern album. Serial killers. Yeah, I thought Isn't of. Is she from Tennessee? I don't know. I've been. Yeah, she is. Um, I've been thinking about a couple other ideas, like maybe me in like a cowboy hat and a, like a wife beater, but all covered in blood, like dragging her around in the snow by her hair. Except there's no snow. Because it's 58 degrees outside. I know. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, do you want to Do you wanna talk about the big giant thing that happened today? Oh, my God. How, well, we have to talk about it. We can't not talk about the it. Other, and that's kind of the other reason we're doing a lo- Okay, the other reason we're doing just a quick and dirty lo-fi episode to get up for tomorrow, it's the 27th today. And we, I had a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk about, but then Carrie Fisher died today. And... I mean, how, what did you do when you found out? You were at work. I don't know. It didn't really seem real, I guess, because I wasn't connected to any internet or anything. I was just at work doing my thing. Mm. Um, it was my coworker who told me and that I was like, and he, he said, I don't even know if it's true or not because he must have seen something on Facebook. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's um, a bunch of celebrity death hoaxes all the time, so. Um. But then a customer who overheard us talking was like, yeah, I heard. I was like, damn it. Man, so I... It didn't really hit me until I, I got in the car with you and I started talking about it. I feel kind of blessed in a way. Like, I wrote a, I wrote a blog, and you can, you can go and check it out, www.quillandfilmproductions.com. It's the journal section. I wrote two blogs today, um, and I've kind of been touching on it a little bit 
throughout the year as as I sporadically blog. Twenty sixteen has been a really bad year for. It's been rough, yeah. For deaths, but I feel really blessed because I've ne- not one death, not one celebrity death since twenty thirteen, have I ever stumbled on on the internet because I have like this weird network of friends who are on the internet way more than me. And I get text messages that say stuff like the one you sent me today is like, I'm, would you say, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but Carrie Fisher died. Mm-hmm. And I, to see it in a text message from another human rather than like some news source that's like already memorializing her and trying to get clicks and stuff. Right. It's kind of yeah. nice to get that news from a human. It feels more like a traditional grieving process rather than like accidentally turning on the news and finding out like, you know, like car accident kills Sam Peterson, you know, like I would not want to learn that my brother was dead from like fa- a Facebook post. Right. I'd want to hear it from a human. Um, when Lemmy died, Microtechy told me. When David Bowie died, um, that was either you or Microtechy. He told me that Lou Reed died. All the musicians, Microtechy. Oh my god, that was this year too? No, Lou Reed was 2013. Oh. Um, but he was the one who texted me when Lou Reed died. You told me Prince died. Um, God, man, I heard. And then the other ones are all filled in by podcasts I listen to, which is again, like a human being talking to you rather than like a Facebook ad being like, come and buy your commemorative princess Leia t-shirts today. You know, it's like, (sighs) I don't know. So I feel kind of lucky in a way that I, I was really glad that you were the one who told me. You know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's weird. Like you, yeah, I knew you were at work and you would be preoccupied. You'd have stuff to do. I was at home. I wasn't doing anything. I had just sat down to like, write. And you texted me that. Get cozy, stink butt. I, she's actually not bad. Um, says you she just farted again. Did she? <laughs> They're really horrible today. Poor thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> I don't know. When I, when I heard, when you, when I got that text message today, like I, I, like, actually cried. Like, I didn't cry for David Bowie or Prince or Alan Rickman. The last celebrity, quote-unquote, celebrity death I remember crying for was Ray Bradbury years and years mm. and years and years ago. Um, but, yeah, and Robin Williams. I cried when I found out Robin Stop Williams was dead. Stop fiddling with that. And again, um, Robin Williams, my brother, texted me. Mm-hmm. Or... I think I texted you. You texted me while me and Sam were on our way out to skin that deer that <laughs> we got off the side of the road. I've told, I told this story before. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went, I immediately went and started listening to the John Williams Star Wars soundtrack. Discovered that Spotify has, um, I sent oh, you a picture so cool. of it. The time, yeah. the little like timer slider on the bottom of Spotify if you play the old John Williams soundtracks, the slider turns into a lightsaber, and the lightsaber slowly gets longer as the track plays. I thought that was cool, but yeah, <laughs> I like—I actually like cried when I found out Carrie Fisher was dead because I—we were talking about it in the car on the way back from Hannaford. Um, she, I know she is for you and for me too. She was kind of the first not my mother adult female that I ever encountered or remembered encountering. She's like the template for a woman in my psyche. Um, when did you, did you, you first came to her through Star Wars? Yes. Yeah. I mean, do you remember, do you remember? I don't know. I'm just, I feel like I'm talking Um, a lot. I don't really remember like a distinct moment where I was like, oh, this is Star Wars. We're watching Star Wars now. And, um, I'm sure, you know, my dad introduced Alan and I to it at the same time whenever he thought we were ready for it. But I remember watching those those VHS tapes mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and yeah. over. Um, and, like, getting into arguments about which one we're going to watch, you know? Like, I... I, sh- I think she was the first, like, strong female character mm-hmm. I remember. I, I, I've talked about it before. The reason I'm such a cinema buff, I think, is my dad. My dad was a huge foreign film nut, and he would let me watch all of them, except for the Long Wolf and Cub movies, because they're so violent. <laughs> um, but the I, I feel really lucky in a way, because I don't remember watching 
I remember watching Disney movies later. The first movie I remember watching, the earliest film memory I have, is Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. Uh, it was too, oh it was so long. It was two VHS tapes. You had to take one out and put the other one in to finish the movie. And I remember watching uh, Seven Samurai with my dad. And then I remember, you know, the the standard Disney fair. Mm-hmm. But the right the other like r- live action movie I remember from my childhood was Star Wars. As long as I've been alive, Dad was he had always that's had the so tapes. funny. The other live action movie that I remember from my childhood like super distinctly was the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. Like that was it was either Indiana Jones we were watching, if it wasn't Disney, of course. Uh-huh. It was Indiana Jones or it was Star Wars. I didn't get into Indiana Jones until I was oh, like seven or eight. Dude. But as soon as I did, uh, my mom took me down to the they, there was a church. They used to have uh, rummage sales in this church basement and I went there like every Sunday for a month until <laughs> I found a fedora. Yes. And I bought a fedora <laughs> so that I could uh, go and dangerously jump out of trees in yes. my backyard. Um, yeah, but I mean, we, we got the VHS tapes, the three, you know, the three VHS tapes Yeah. and I watched them so much that they all wore out until they were unwatchable. (laughs) So then back, that was back when VHS tapes were still like 30 bucks, like expensive. Yeah. So we taped them off TV. We taped Star Wars off the television (laughs) until like my birthday came around. So I was watching, uh, like, uh, and we do, I was always really good about taping stuff off TV. I would stop it when the ads came on. Oh my God, you're so funny. (laughs) And hit record again when the... (laughs) And then hit record again when it started. So, of course, like, watching it, there might be, like, a little jump where you'd see, like, a flash of Pop-Tarts in the middle of, like, the giant Hoth battle or whatever in uh, Empire. But, as you know, I watched those until they were crackly messes. But by that time, my parents had gotten... The, the that set the again set. the yeah. set of three and of course this is all pre um george lucas's digital touch-ups and stuff right. these are the og films we still have them we do somewhere we have that second set still they're back oh my in Marquette. god yeah i would get a vhs player just to watch those i think we should get get it converted to dvd yeah yeah i yeah. mean that's just a... so we have it in like a permanent form mm. and of course like a you know like a digital a washable copy form. yeah yeah, that would be good. Um, there's, I think there's a place in Marquette that does that. We should do I'm that. I'm sure we can find somewhere. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I remember, everybody remembers, all, all the boys that I can, you know, grew up with, remember the, like, Slave Leia with the metal bikini <laughs> uh, shit. Honestly, uh, and I, maybe maybe this is bad. Maybe this makes me a bad, like, dude nerd or whatever, but... Slave Land never really like hit for me. My favorite part of the whole Return of the Jedi was all the bounty hunters that hung out at Jabba's palace. Oh, dude, yes. Maybe it's because, and yes. again, this is something we've definitely maybe talked about on Chapman and Robin, old one. I don't know. Um, my sexual sexual awakening didn't uh-huh. happen until I was nine or ten. I'd already been watching Star Wars for like since right. I was four. You know, right. before I remember watching Star Wars before my brother was born. And which and I, Sam was born when I was four. My sexual awakening was the first James Bond movie I ever saw, Thunderball. Which is bad because the the moment that like where I discovered sex was basically James Bond raping his therapist. Well, um, anyway, problematic. But um, I do love I do love James Bond movies. I God damn it, I do. I know. You know, it's so weird, but this um, got me thinking about all of the celebrities that we've lost this year and about. The celebrities that I'm worried oh, about. Oh, don't even losing. say. I know who you're thinking. Don't even say. And just, you know, the how name. are you going to react to losing certain people? And the one you're thinking of. You know what I'm going to do? I'm thinking of multiple people. But we're talking about we're talking about Sean Connery. Well, yes. Okay. Especially since we haven't heard or seen about anything, anything for about a long him. time. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, and I'm assuming you're a little bit worried about Harrison Ford as well. He's well, yeah, but like, but, but I if mean, I mean, what I, what I'm gonna do when sh- when 20 years from now Sean Connery dies, is I'm finally gonna just say fuck it and dip into savings and I'm gonna buy the Blu-ray James Bond movies, every single one of them. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna cry into my suit coat, 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna dress I'm gonna dress up in a suit and I'm gonna watch every goddamn James Bond movie back to back drink to back. Martinis. And I'm gonna drink martinis. That's what I'm gonna do. Uh, it's gonna be a bleak day in our house, but you know what? You know You're gonna be so drunk by noon that you're gonna be passed out on the couch and it's gonna be me like just hanging out with the dog. Also, I'm I probably should questionably bed some people, like who are very age inappropriate for me. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I really don't want you to go to jail. We, okay, but we both agree, like, despite all of the obvious problematic nature of them, the James Bond movies are all right. Oh, yeah. They're all amazing. Yeah, you, you always love it when you you're just, watching it. You take them as a time capsule, they have their flaws, but they're amazing Don't movies. look at them too close. Yeah. Oh my god, James Bond is, everything about James Bond is so good, but. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, um. It was it was just so cool growing up as a girl as a girl to have somebody to look up to mm. who played with the boys. Right. You know? See, I came I and that so she was like a role model, like a strong female yeah, role model dude. to you. I mean, I know they've kind of kicked around online. You were mentioning that they Yeah, they kind of shit on on the Leia character, but as being a what, a do nothing? She yeah, she just kind of is like she seems really badass, but she doesn't actually do very much. See, that doesn't make any sense to me though, because like. But okay, yes, I I disagree with it completely. Han and Luke come to rec to come to rescue her, and they got that like you know the first thing she does is criticize, like, yeah, criticize yeah. the person who comes to rescue her, and then if you remember, she sort of like facilitates her own rescue. Like, when the boys are, like, floundering around, I have this... Maybe I'm remembering wrong. I haven't watched New Hope in a while, but I remember she, like, steal, takes the blaster from them and starts shooting shit. Like, she's a big part of she her She definitely rescue. shoots a blaster yeah. throughout the films. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Leia's awesome. Leia's a really awesome the character. The scene that always sticks with me, um, it is a Slave Leia moment, but where she chokes Jabba the Hutt... To death. To death! With, a with chain. her own chain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Leia, oh my god. Yeah, fuck those grumpy people so on the internet. It's like, oh, Princess Leia's not actually a feminist. A feminist would have cut off all the men's balls. That's ah. Uh, we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> I wanted to do. I still would like to do a podcast where we talk about those because I'm still struggling okay. with with that that thing. But yeah, Leia's amazing, and for me, that was that was really. I mean, that was cool for me from a different angle because. As a young, 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 young child, young boy with no real experience, like, with interpersonal relationships, my first, like, major woman that I saw was, like, a strong woman who, like, made decisions and was totally competent and was, like, treated as Sassed the men. Yeah, Like, yeah. she is... It- and like when her when men tried to patronize her, particularly Han Solo, she like she didn't put up with that shit. You know? Oh my god, no! And she was royalty, but she would get her hands dirty. Like she was, she's like she's a politician, right? She wears a lot of hats. She moves in a lot a, of circles. She's a spy, like deep undercover and right. stuff. Like and like I took that out into. And, you know, she's not even afraid of fucking Darth Vader. Scene one. I know, she stands right there and looks him in the eye. Yeah, and I mean, like, I... I don't know, man. Like, I took that out into out into the world, and I had... You know, it, and it wasn't like... I mean, I had a point, but I'm so sad I can't remember what it is. <laughs> I mean, you know, I didn't... I didn't come to this later. My first, uh, what I, oh, what I was going to say is I didn't just like watch the, I obviously watched these three movies a lot, mm-hmm. right? Right. But I bought the novelizations of them. Oh. I bought the comic books. I bought the. Ex- you're, the you're the true nerd. The no, true believer. No, it was just, it was just, it was the, the world was so compelling to me. I bought all of the like expansion, all the like Timothy Zahn books and, um, the like the technical guides to like how lightsabers worked oh. and shit like even the even the stuff that like you know people would be like are you sure you want to buy this young boy this is just a dictionary of the of of the star wars universe i'm like uh-huh. yeah yeah absolutely like i immersed myself in this world where one of the like main people was a strong a strong woman you know it's the fucking it's the jla trio it's that over again. It's it's Batman, Superman, Han, and Wonder Woman. Han is Batman, I assume. 
dark and gritty. Yeah. Violent. Probably. Luke is Superman. Kind of whiny. Emo has parents. Oh, no. That parents. Mu- no, no, no. That's Batman. <laughs> no, nah, but he's not violent and dark His enough. parents are dead. Yeah, he's just... Yeah, but so are Supermans. They blew up on a planet. Oh, that's true. <laughs> um, yeah, Luke is definitely Superman. And uh, Leia's obviously Wonder Woman because she's royalty, you know? And the only female option. The only option. female, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, and then years, years later, I saw her in Blues Brothers. Oh, my God, yes. And she's yeah. so excellent in Blues Brothers. Like, you know, and she her role is so small in it, but it's such a... She's like a facilitator of plot. Yeah. Because she shows up in, like, Bazooka's their apartment, and then they have, they're just, like, in the way... Oh, she's, she's great in Blues Brothers. Like, she truly is, just by being this, like, weird... I, I'm curious how different our... Um, I guess a relationship or our view of Star Wars and the characters in that universe. Um, I wonder how much that differs from our parents because our parents were teenagers when these films came out. Mm. We came to it much, much younger um, and kind of grew up with it. Right. So I wonder how much that influences, I guess, who we are. I mean, I wonder if my dad, like, my dad saw it when he was in his teens, and this is probably where my dad gets his uh, absurd habit of seeing movies, like, oh, a, million bajillion a bajillion times. He doesn't really do it anymore. The last one that I remember seeing a ton was Force Awakens, which is Star Wars. Right. Um, I saw, I think I saw Force Awakens six or six or eight times in theaters, twice IMAX. Um, but, like, my dad... Because back then, they didn't release videos for home viewing. Forever, He yeah. saw Star Wars, I think, like, upwards of 20 times. Like, all of wow. them. He, he went just... Because movies were less expensive back then, and he was blowing all of his money, basically, on his, on his Mustang. He had a 1969 um, powder blue Ford Mustang. He had... Uh, and it was a, a convertible, too, I believe. Um, I could be wrong. Oh yeah, he had himself a hot car, but um, and he blew, he blew his Get money on ladies. that, on uh, on that, and on Isaac, books by Isaac Asimov, like science fiction books. Oh, this was totally up your dad's alley. And Star Wars, like going to see yeah. Star Wars, and he had a lot of the Star Wars comics. Um, I inherited some Star Wars books from him, um, but yeah, so like. The only other thing I remember that my dad had that much, like, crazy, insane passion for was Lord of the Rings. He made me read uh, all the books, and then when dude. The Fellowship of the Ring came out, we went and saw it uh, 14 times. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, me and him. Every, uh, and every show we went to is a midnight show. We went for two weeks straight. We went every night for two weeks straight at the college theater in, at Michigan Tech. You're ridiculous. And the midnight showing. It was fucking awesome. The, the first night that we went, it was, I think... Either I think it was the debut, like the the premiere. It mm-hmm. was the first night it was playing, and we were in the theater. And this is my second favorite movie theater crowd of all time. My first favorite movie theater crowd of all time has to be Evil Dead, the midnight show that we went and saw. Yeah, that was a great, great. Oh my crowd. god, that was so good. But when my dad and I went and saw uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, there's mm-hmm. that scene in the end where Aragorn cuts the head off the the Urukai commander yeah. guy. Yeah. And, like, the I missed. The first time we saw it, thank God I saw it 14 times, The we missed, like, 10 minutes of the movie because the crowd was, like, standing up and, like, throwing <laughs> shit and, like, screaming their heads off and, like, high-fiving each other. It was amazing. Like, the I've, it was the first time I'd ever been in a theater where people just didn't sit quietly, you know? Like, people uh-huh. were like, yeah! And I was like, oh, my God, yes. everyone's so excited. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, yeah, it was, that was great. I don't know. Like, I was saying, I was saying this to my brother on the phone earlier, and you were right next to me, so this is just for the benefit of our viewers. But you know, twenty five people didn't die in twenty sixteen. Like thousands and thousands of people have died this year. Like countless people have died this year. But no, the people that we remember are the artists. You know, like Alan Rickman died. When was the last time you, like, sat there and were like, you know what I'd like to watch tonight? An Alan Rickman movie. But... I'm sure those words have never come out of my mouth. Right, but at the same time, like, when I watch Die Hard, Alan... You take Alan Mm -hmm. Rickman out of Die Hard, Mm -hmm. 
It's just not That's the same. not a good movie anymore. <laughs> like, Harry Potter. Everybody watches Harry Potter for, you know... Um, Snape, duh. Uh, after episode or after the fourth movie, you can watch it for Hermione, but not before, because that's creepy and illegal. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but you know, like oh. the, the Harry the Harry Potter films are really good, and the actor who yes, yeah, they're great. Yeah, like and and Daniel Radcliffe is great, and uh, um, Emma Emma's, Emma Watson. Watson. I, I was gonna say cooling, and then I was gonna say frost, and then I was gonna say stone. <laughs> problems. Um, yeah, Emma Rupert Emma Watson is great. Rin? The redhead. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, the kids are great, and Dumbledore's great, and oh, look at these crazy effects. But if you had a different actor playing Snape, I'm not sure Harry Potter would be as good as it was. Like, consistently, Alan Rickman is his a incredible voice. Oh my god, his voice. Oh, oh my god, yeah. I mean, it's... And it's not just Alan Rickman's voice. It's, it's... Oh my god, like, he is consistently such an incredible, intense actor. His, his... He's so good. Something about Alan Rickman is so good. A big part of it is his voice, definitely. Um, you know who does a really good Alan Rickman impression? Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh my god. He does a he does a spot on like can't tell the difference Alan Rickman impression. It's fucking cool. It's really amazing. Uh. Um, but yeah, like when Alan Rickman died, it wasn't like like um Tom Cruise dead, Brad Pitt dead, Angelina Jolie head severed in a baby adopting right. accident. You know, it was but it felt like like someone had suddenly taken like a particular shade of green out of the world and suddenly you know that just wasn't there anymore right like stuff didn't look right it, it wasn't like this catastrophic end of the world scenario but some of this you know the world I, the world is a little darker after it's like everything we've lost this year yeah I, it's for me it's like listening to like led zeppelin right mm -hmm. but then somebody pulls the bass guitar out that was when Alan Rickman died. You know, you still got Jimmy Page, and he's shredding, and John Bonham's hitting those drums, but somehow it's not the same. Mm -hmm. Doesn't feel full anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That, you know, and... I was saying, what I was saying to Sam was, I, because I, my brother's a banker and I'm a dick, I said, nobody remembers when bankers die. Nobody cares when bankers die. We care when artists die whether they're actors or musicians or, and we found out today, like something I didn't know about Carrie Fisher is she was like an, an extremely accomplished writer as well. I had no idea. She's yeah. written like novels and memoirs and worked on TV shows and stuff. Uh, film scripts. Film scripts. Um, I had no idea about any of that, but I mean, I will go mm -hmm. and check it out now. Yeah. I mean, Carrie, uh, Carrie Fisher was like an iconic <laughs> legend mythic goddess figure to me until i saw jay and silent bob strike back when she's making like the when she's being like the nun that jay is gonna go down on and then you watch the behind the scenes features and she is so cool on that set uh -huh. she's like you're like oh my god she's just a person right she's a super groovy awesome person too <laughs> i don't know actually um speaking of her just being a person mm. um something i learned about her today that i didn't know uh, everybody knows like she had drug abuse problems. Yeah. Um, she also had bipolar disorder. Really? Yeah, and um, she was very vocal about mental health and dealing with the struggles. I went of on that. her website today, and a big chunk of it is mental health advocacy. Yeah. That's awesome. That is so awesome. There's somebody else. Who? Jim Carrey. Jim. I know you're spooked by him, but. Makes your um, skin just crawl. He was, I, he was the first um, celebrity that I was aware of. Oh, I remember that. Who had, like, diagnosed mental illness. He has, like, severe bipolar disorder. And then you look at his movies and how they, like, oscillate back and forth mm -hmm. between, like, um, his, like, manic movies, like The Grinch and Ace Ventura and stuff like that. And then you get... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, The Truman Show, Truman number Show, 23. Yeah. And you get these, like, bleak, really, like, dark, cynical movies. And he, like, the, 
it, when you find out he has bipolar disorder, his career makes so much more sense. And in another way, that sort of like takes these heroes of ours and takes them from being heroes to being incredible people. I think it's the something we were talking about on the way back from Walmart. Um, I think when you have heroes, when you have people, like artists that you really admire, it doesn't click in your head that you could be that too. Mm-hmm. Like when you see, when I, when I first looked at Neil Gaiman, before I ever read any interviews with him or anything, it was like, wow, here's somebody who is, this is maybe the best writer who's ever lived. You know, he's my favorite writer by far. But I'm like, wow, his writing is so incredible. His writing's amazing. It never occurred to me that I could be a writer. And then at the end of the paperback copy of American Gods I had, there was an interview with Neil Gaiman where they talk about writing. And he's like, he goes into the process of like, oh yeah, there was really hard days where I sat down and everything I wrote was garbage. And until that point, I just assumed that writers like sat down and just typed 20,000 words a day. Yeah. Like I never thought about the process of writing. At that point, I still wanted to be a cartoonist. (laughs) I think I was like 13 years old, 12 years old. And I was like, Oh, and there's a great quote in the back of the book, and it's the one that he's most, his, um, they usually, the, his most quoted quote is, um, writing is easy, you just sit down, or he says, uh, writing is the act of sitting down and putting one word after another until the thing is done, and it's that easy and it's that hard, and I was like, oh my god, writing is a job, people do this for money, <laughs> <laughs> like, and <laughs> I, I don't know. I just I, like you read J.R.R. Tolkien, and it's like a found object, right? You know, yeah. You're reading you're so distance from it. You get yeah, yeah and it, like and the first time you read it's the Harry Potter on a pedestal, books, right? 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 Yeah. It's like no, you don't. You know, you see the name on the cover, J.R.R. Tolkien, but it is unfathomable that somebody sat down and made this up out of their head and wrote it down. You're just like. Wow, the Hobbit, What this mythic tome that has existed since the dawn of time. I'm so lucky this is here for me to this enjoy. This ancient Brit made for us. Right, yes. but then you yeah. think, this ancient Brit, exactly. Like, And then you're like, oh, J.R.R. Like Tolkien. folk stories or something Tolkien, passed down from generation to was, generation. He was alive within the last hundred years. You know, you're like, what the fuck? Um, I don't know, like, that for me was the... Every time I have, like, I, I don't really have them anymore. I, when I was young, I used to have, like, those, like, oh, wow, this, these actors are so, like, you see them as, like, glamorous gods that walk among us. Mm-hmm. And then you start... Somehow above or separate from normal people. Right. And yeah. it never occurs to you that people can do that. Like, with, even though I'd already had, like, the veil pulled back on writing and I was like, oh, my God, I can, and not only, like, can people do this... I can do this. Right. I want to do this. I want to do something as good as Neil Gaiman someday, you know? So I, like, sat down and I practiced and I basically copied him for, like, you know, a year or whatever before I started reading other people and developing different styles and stuff. But um, with filmmakers, like, I mean... I was I I've always loved movies. I, I watch my have one of the biggest film collections. I know I've seen movies that other that like I've seen foreign films from like the early 1900s. But I was like, oh, these are movie. They, all these movies cost an enormous amount of money, and you need a huge crew of people, and you need top of the line cameras, and you can only make movies. Hollywood is the You're only. You're backed place. by a studio, and you have a right. screenwriter it, and it, producers. It seemed like another world. It seemed like again, like films were something that came from somewhere else, and I didn't really associate them with like my world because the they magical were s- land of California. I blame <laughs> <laughs> that mythic place. Um. But then I started listening to Smodcast and Kevin Smith's stuff, and in his, you know, he kind of, now he's kind of like, oh, I'm a comedy guy, but like in his early, the early years of Smodcast, all the episodes were like very inspirational, like, dude, go make a movie. Anybody can make a movie. And you'd hear that, and you're like, what? You find out that Clerks only cost like $27,000. He had no studio backing. He just rented a camera and put it all on credit cards and got his friends to do it, and he wrote it himself. When when I heard that, it was like, oh, wow, there are filmmakers, and they're not all, like, 
born out of the soil of California, you know, covered. <laughs> they sprout in the vineyards. Wiping liquid cellophane or uh, celluloid off their skin, you know. The, yeah, they're, and they don't like slowly ripen in vats or whatever. Like, <laughs> these are human beings who have stories to tell and they just decide to tell them. And then people give them money for it. And I'm like, holy shit, filmmaker is a job too. I'm sorry, I'm fidgety. I am. I'm all worked up. But I don't know, like, having. Having lost all these people in 2016, all these people, and I mean, I hate to, like, Lemmy. Lemmy died in 2015, in December, and Lou Reed died in 2013, and then we lost David Bowie, and we lost Prince, and we lost just musician after musician after musician, great musicians, all just dying. Um, and then actors, and I mean, John Glenn died. And oh, in really? 2016, yeah, John John Glenn died, and Muhammad Ali died in 2016, yeah. and um, Nancy Reagan died in 2016. And I, I think because there's been so much death in 2016, and there's so much like exposés and coverage, and we're seeing the mortality of gods, basically. Mm-hmm. When David Bowie died, it was... It was sort of the same reaction that I had when, like, Ray Bradbury died. I was like, mm-hmm. David Bowie doesn't die. David Bowie is David Bowie. You know? Right. Like, he is somehow immortal above... Right. Because I hadn't... I'd read so many biographies about Kurt Cobain that Kurt Cobain was a human being to me. And an inspiration. Because I'm like, oh, I, here's how he did it. I can do it. And I can be and, influenced well, by And, well, he died before... Before I was you born. You were even born. No, so. no, no. That's not true. He died when I was four. Oh, okay, whatever. Um, but, Close enough. Yeah. Before he, you were, like... Yeah, he died a little bit after... Uh, um, a couple months after Sam was born. But, like, you know, I, he was a human to me, and he had died, and I was like, oh, conspiracy theories. But it would made sense that he was dead because he was a human. Right. David Bowie was just, like, this like this rock and roll god from outer space. You, you David Bowie doesn't die. Like, David Bowie just vanishes one day. He, yeah. And he his, pulls an Elvis. Yeah, and is sighted all over the world. Well, Elvis died on a toilet, like, really I know, embarrassing. I know, I know, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean, but, like... David Bowie's not dead. When, the aliens just came and called him when back. When we saw all of these people, these unkillable people, die, most of them from, like, common stuff like cancer, it it's a sad year, but at the same time, it humanized artists to me not just like oh wow movies are a thing writers are a thing artists are people like all of the people who've every person who's influenced my life and given me a cool idea or given me a song that made me happy or made me think about something in a different way those are all people those are all finite human beings with brains and penises and food preferences and vaginas they're you know what i mean Yes. I don't know. That's I guess that's what my last two blogs have been about is trying to like trying to chip away at that idea and and get that out to people because I didn't write much in 2016. We moved, you know, and I went through a, a brief period of like depression and then I you know, and I started working on music and stuff. But man, we're I don't know, we're all finite, and you and I, calling ourselves artists, you know, we have to be making, it just, it made me, this is art. It's looking at you, I'm making art. I know, you got a pussy board and a watercolor painting that's taking up the whole kitchen table. And I wrote a fucking graphic novel this year, and so you wrote a blow me. Novel. No, you're, I mean, you're killing it, I'm... That's what I'm saying, I guess that's why I'm struggling with all this stuff so much, is I'm seeing all these artists die, and I'm like... Wow, like 2016 killed so many people who... <sighs> okay, I'm sorry, I gotta stop you there. Uh-huh. That drives me crazy. What? Like, blaming the year for this. Okay, no, it's... It's ki- just... It's just how it works. Right, it's... Okay, it's, you, you know... You get a limited number of years, and then... It's cancer, and it's... I, I think what it honestly is, is... This year, you know, like, this year just happens to be a time period where a large group of highly recognizable it's individuals died. It's just the way it works. 
But you know, that's that's a you're gonna you're gonna get this every you know approximately seventy years. They're gonna start. It's just like a shedding. All of you your know, childhood heroes are gonna die. Yeah, because that's how generations work. Mm. But I feel I don't know. Do you think that anything like this, like anything like this year, has happened? Or do you yes. think? Yes. I don't think of so. Course. I don't think so. You know why? Because here's what I think. I think the reason that this year seems so bad is because all the people who are dying this year were huge and sorry had their like giant breaks in the like 60s through the 90s you know and like alan rickman is a a different case because alan rickman didn't become an actor until his 40s i believe right but like David Bowie was huge in, like, the 70s and 80s. Well, David Bowie's always been huge. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's not a whole lot of artists who are popular in, like, the 90s and 2000s who are dying right now. Right. It's, and even if they were, none of us would notice because the art from that time didn't shape the culture as much. Like, the reason everyone is, like, latching onto Prince and... Oh my God, Prince is dead. Oh my God, David Bowie died. Oh my God, Muhammad Ali and John Glenn are dead. Is those people shaped the culture of the world in a lot of ways. Like, they're like titans. And that was a very finite time period, like, 30 years ago. So, like, they're... I don't know. But all of these people that are dying right now are roughly our grandparents' age. Right. So it's just it's just the cycle of how things go, right? And but, you're gonna lose. Yeah, but what I'm saying those people. Yes, but what I'm saying is like that generation is a generation of absolutely incredible artists. The generation before that, you know, like I'm sure they all died off in droves, but nobody was like, "Oh, do you remember? Oh my God, remember 1978?" You have to ask our parents and our grandparents and say. Do you remember the only ones I ever losing your childhood heroes? The only ones remember, I ever I don't I think the culture was different in a way too cuz everyone wasn't It wasn't like, as connected as yeah, it is now. Yeah, it wasn't as easy for everybody to find out that so and so and such and such and who and who had right. died. Right. The world has gotten much smaller. Yeah. I mean, the ones that think about that, like the people who everybody knew when they died. Um Ella Fitzgerald. There's like poems. Buddy Holly. That day when, but yeah, but those are like those were in big tragedies. But yeah, when Buddy Holly died, the plane went down. Um, when all those members of CCR died in the plane crash as well. Jesus, plane crashes. Um, um, the Big Bopper died in a plane crash. That was the same. I think that was Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper died together. But um, I don't know. Like every, my my grandma remembers JFK when JFK died. Um, but I think I think what it is is also like for real though think about think about that generation think about the people we still have from that generation like you want to talk about like the artists that shaped american culture jimmy page Mm. is still alive don't even don't even say i know knock knock on, on wood knock on wood but like but seriously like that generation is when people talk about great music, nobody's talking about like bands from the like mid to late '80s, unless they're being like obscure. Pre- I, no, I'm not saying that there's no good bands from the '80s. Wasn't but... George Michael from the late '80s? Yeah, but that one didn't really hit me. Did you ever? Do you know I've, any? Do I've you... never heard it, but I've it never heard any George. Impacted Michael a lot of people. Yeah, I guess. So, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess. I guess I can't. I can't cherry pick my. <laughs> I, I guess he's just bigger in like the gay community. Is that um, who? Yeah, he was. Because he was openly gay or came out um, when he was already an adult. George so, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I feel like the generation that's dying right now is hitting maybe me and I don't know, everybody is hitting everybody so hard because they were a truly great artistic generation. And I'm sure that there are maybe, hopefully not among our listeners, but I'm sure there's internet people who would be like, well, you're discounting the, that, the fact that there's more great art being produced now than there ever has been. Oh, you're just, you're just a hit. I mean, but for real though, you're going to tell me that like Justin Bieber and, um, 
Oh, he could die right now and I wouldn't bat an eye. Yeah, you know, like, someone's gonna tell me that, like, the stuff on the radio now is as great as, like, flipping on the radio. Okay, and... but Adele. Okay, yeah, I'm not saying there's not Beyonce, great music right now. People would freak out. Like, yeah, Adele is Adele is absolutely amazing. Um, you know, and there's great music that came out of the 90s and 2000s. Like, all of... There's always been great music, but do you... I don't know. I don't know. Nobody really has the superstar status that, um, like David Bowie and Prince did, that was so powerful. Yeah. Nobody really has that in that way that they did. Like, Justin Bieber doesn't have the, I don't know, what would you, what would you call that? The... Gra- uh, the gravitas? It's not, it's not really gravitas, though. Um, it's... The, the maybe cultural weight. I'm sure there's a word that means exactly what we're saying. But but my point is, is there is there has never been a Led Zeppelin after Led Zeppelin. Like, oh yeah, man, Nickelback was the biggest band in the world. No, but they were always, they, they burned out and went away and they were, they were never going to be like this infinitely lasting thing. Mm-hmm. I, th- I honestly think a hundred years from now, people are going to be like, Hey man, uh Oh yeah, the two thousands through the twenty twenties uh, that music's all garbage, we never listen to it anymore. No, but I really I really <laughs> do believe that in like the year twenty one hundred, some kid is still gonna be like, Oh dude, have you uploaded into your brain implant chip um when the levy breaks yet? That is like one of the most amazing um <laughs> oral experiences I've ever heard. You know, like I don't know what the language is gonna be, but I swear to god, they're gonna be listening to Led Zeppelin for fucking ever. <laughs> That band is in, that band is amazing. Like I don't think Hendrix is ever gonna go away, but John Mayer, John Mayer can go fuck himself. That guy is that His music guy is garbage. He has disappeared in twenty years. If he's you know like he'll is he even still making music? I don't know if he's even alive anymore. Like <laughs> who gives a shit? It's John Mayer. Like I know there's Dave Matthews band people oh, who fuck those guys. I, I I'm look. I know there's fans of Dave Matthews out there, but again. When that guy dies, poop gone. They're like, oh, it's so sad. Dave Matthews died. Everybody, let's drink a natty light and smoke a camel. I, I don't even know who Dave Matthews fans are. They're just is that people. Is that even, like, is there even a person in the band named Dave Matthews? I don't know. There's just ch- <laughs> They're just chill, soft people who listen to soft music. I don't know, man, but it just doesn't, it doesn't hit. It has no impact. It has no, it doesn't do anything to your soul. You go sit there and you're like, wow, that was a really great song. But you don't come away from it changed. That The, the people who are dying now are the people who changed us when we were kids. Like, oh, I want to watch Labyrinth now. We've got it. Let's do it. Let's. Why watch. is there not a movie with David Bowie and Carrie Fisher both in it? I'm sure there... I'm sure we could play like two... We can play two of, movies at once. I'm sure... No, I was going to say, I'm sure we could play like 10 Degrees of Separation and find a way to connect the two of them. <laughs> sure. Um, but like... Man, I don't know. I, I want to... It's What makes me sad is when we did the modern art episode, right? I felt something researching that that I haven't felt in a long time. Sometimes, and I know you're going to disagree with me on some of these artists, but like sometimes when I was a kid, every new band from the 60s and 70s that I heard and all of the weird 80s hardcore stuff and all the grunge stuff from the 90s, like obviously everything from Seattle, I would have these moments where I'd hear a song and I like couldn't talk and I couldn't breathe and I was like, oh my God, that person just said something that meant so much to me and I like would empathize with it and it would change me in the way that art is supposed to change you. Where you go out of the room after hitting stop on your CD and the world looks different and you like feel different and you, you know what I mean? And then I stopped feeling that like around the time I went to college. Uh, Like with rare exceptions, the first time I heard the White Stripes and heard Jack White playing that crazy plastic stuttering fuzzed octaved guitar and I'm like, holy Christ, this guy can play guitar. And I got this like, wow, and they're doing it and they're loud. The first time I heard Tom Waits. I know you don't like Tom Waits, but like when I heard my first Tom Waits album, I think it was um He might live forever. I think it was I think Tom he's pickled as Tom White Tom Waits might never die. Knock on wood, God, I hope he doesn't. But but seriously, the first time I heard it, I, it was Rain Dogs, and I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? Like, 
you know, you hear singers and they're a like, man I'm singing a song. Nails. And then you hear Tom Waits and he's like, Let's I see. went down to the bar and there's an old woman with a peg leg. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck am I listening? Is it really a lyric? No, no, it's not. But like, but seriously, oh my God. When I first heard um, Gun Street Girl, oh, holy shit. And he's playing bicycles as percussion instruments. And there's like weird saxophones and he's looping feedback. And the whole time he's just like... You know, he's singing about glass eyes and shots of whiskey and how sad he is that the flamingo won't dance with him anymore. And you're like, Tom Waits, fuck yes, dude. And then it just went away entirely and I stopped feeling things for art for a long time. And when we researched that episode, like looking at some of the Dada artists, I got that twinge again. I was like, I, was, I would see a piece of art online and I'd be like, like, whoa. And then the other night, when Adam showed me Stephen Reich and I started looking into minimalism music, mm-hmm. like w- looking at the shit Stephen Reich did and then researching John Cage and seeing a p- full performance. I watched the whole video and watching 433. It's weird avant-garde experimental art and I know it's not everybody's thing, but like seeing art that happened. That art all happened in the 60s and 70s. Everything I'm talking about right now, but like looking at that, I was We've like, already lost John Cage. Yep, John Cage already died. I actually saw... Um, oh, I just got sad for a second. I just... I actually went and saw with my dad and my grandma Linda um, John Cage and Merce Cunningham. Merce Cunningham was a famous dancer and choreographer. They worked together for a really long time. They were time. a couple. Yeah, I know. Um, that They actually... Um, their relationship ended John Cage's first marriage. Um, because he fell in love with Merce Cunningham and uh, left his wife. <laughs> um, that also actually has a lot to do with... Uh, they moved to New York and moved mm-hmm. in with the Guggenheims. Right? And uh, Mrs. Guggenheim offered John Cage a recital in the Guggenheim gallery. Mm-hmm. But he had already booked one at the MoMA. So he was like, oh, I would love to play at Guggenheim. I've got to play this other thing at the Museum of Modern Art. And she saw it as a betrayal. They were living with the Guggenheims, and she kicked John Cage and (laughs) his wife out of their house, and they became homeless. And the financial strain, plus his relationship with Merce Cunningham, broke the marriage up completely. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Oh, my God, that's actually really funny. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's tragic, but at the same time, you know, but, like, I actually, okay, I got to go go down to Ann Arbor, and I saw the Merce Cunningham Dance Company perform the i um they were going around the country performing all the pieces that john cage and merce cunningham had done together Mm -hmm. and i went and got to go and see two of the two of the pieces one of them was um scored by sigur ross they did the music for it and that was ethereal and then I, the, I love Sigur Ross. Yeah, it was just, it was incredible. The Sigur Ross one was incredible. But the one that blew me away, and this, obviously this comes from my love of like metal machine music and feedback mm-hmm. and grunge. The second dance was scored by, um, I don't know if the scored is the right word, but the music for the second, mm-hmm. mo- it was all modern dance. So very interpretive. It's not like ballet or anything. It was, it was super cool. Um, but it was scored by Radiohead. I think I've heard maybe one Radiohead song. You've heard a lot of Radiohead songs. I play them all the time. Karma Police is a Radiohead song. Oh, okay. I like that one. Creep is a Radiohead song. Okay, I like that song. one, too. Um, Exit Music for a Film that Amanda Palmer does. She does a whole album of Radiohead. Um, fake Plastic Trees. Radiohead's a cool band. You'd like them. Um, but they did it, and their their score was, like, layers of feedback with, like, guitar, overtones of guitar, and, like, oh, man... But, you know, it's, it bums me out sometimes that, and there's exceptions, but it bums me out that the art that affects me and changes me and makes me feel, you know, like the art that actually hits me, when I find it online, I'm like, oh, ooh, who's this artist? This is amazing. I want to know more. It's always people from like the 60s and 70s. And I'm like, oh, they're, they're dead. It's a big time of transition and change and experimentation yeah and then i guess that what makes me sad is that the artists that were influenced by them like quote unquote you can't see my quotes at home folks but i'm quote unquote like refined those experiments and by refining them 
they just... Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. They just made them more mainstream. You know what I mean? Like, they made it more marketable. Like, John Cage did this piece called... <laughs> She's snoring. <laughs> She's so cute. Um, John Cage did this piece called 433, where he originally wrote it for piano. A pianist comes out on stage... And he, he's dressed to the nines, he's got the coat and tails and the thing on, everyone stands up and applauds. He sits down at the bench, he flips his tails back, and he opens the sheet music and he arranges it just so. He sets a metronome, and he takes a drink of water, and then he closes the keyboard, the piano, and he sits in silence for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. And that is 4.33. That is John Cage's 4.33. The first time you see it, you're like... What the fuck? And then you read about why John Cage did it and what his ideas are. And there's a reason that there are 150 performances of it on YouTube. It's because John Cage was exploring the idea that an auditorium full of people and the sounds that they make is art. We, we learned about 433 in my modern art class. And um, my professor also discussed the, the connection that the audience has not only to the other members of the audience but also to the person who is performing because mm. um, usually you're there to like receive something right but this way it's a two-way dialogue mm -hmm. there's a another version of it that john cage wrote late in his life um which was basically an amplification it was feed it was a uh, a speaker that would feed back the performer would create feedback and there was no set limit of time for how long it would go on. It was just done when the performer thought it was done. And there's performances of it that are like hours long of just the performer sitting up there like feeding stuff back and people leave and people come back. 433 in its original form has been played outside, or played I guess, but like has been performed in outdoor amphitheaters where you just sit and listen to nature and that is the art, that is the piece. And I like, can you imagine Justin Bieber or fucking Taylor Swift or any of these cocks on the radio doing anything like that? Like, there's artists that are doing this, but that's not who people are looking at. That makes me so sad. You know, like, I just, I want artists, I want the people today, I want the artists today to be doing daring things the 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 fact that the millennial whoop exists at all makes me so do you know what it is yes that makes me sad the idea that artists are just trying to trick your brain into thinking that you've already heard their song so you'll automatically like it by repeating a pattern of tones oh man david bowie we need you come back back in your spaceship yeah save us from ourselves we should yeah we should definitely watch labyrinth we should eat ice cream and drink cocoa and watch labyrinth are we gonna sit in silence for four minutes and 33 minutes <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I mean, we can talk about the stuff I wanted to talk about next time, but do you have anything else to say? I don't know. I just, I wanted to talk about, oh. I just can't lose anybody else this year, man. I, I'm too crying. Well, you only got like one more day. I'm so. too, so I'm too weepy. <laughs> I just, I keep, I keep crying. Wait, what's today? The 20th is the 27th. So you got like four more days. 9, 30, 31. Yeah. Four more days. Um. Oh, man. Don't worry. I'm going to turn my phone off for four days. Okay. <laughs> and not get any more texts. I don't know. Um, thank you, Adam, by the way. You've, you opened up a whole whole world of art that actually actually is reaching me and, and affecting me and affecting the ways I think about music. I've been having some great conversations with that guy lately via Snapchat and, and such. And he's doing a lot of writing, too, which I'm really proud of him. He wrote, um, he sent me a picture of some lyrics and sheet music that he wrote the other day. You got anything else, boo? Nope. Nope.
Nope. Nothing you want to plug? This might be the last episode we do before... No, 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 it's in February, so we'll have a whole month of episodes. Okay. Um, I was going to say, uh, talk about your gallery thing. Some of oh, my, yeah. Some of my coworkers have been asking when it is. <gasps> uh, February 16th. 16th. Okay. Uh, no, sorry, 1st through the 16th? The 1st through the 16th. Really, it's that long. Okay, yeah. cool. And then Kate... I don't know if there's an opening reception or a closing reception or not. I will... I guess look into that. Yeah. yeah. I... I... Yeah. Um... So, yeah. But I've been doing a lot of, uh... A lot, a lot, a lot of blogging lately. So, if you want to go and read... Um, Stuff that's going to make you cry and or depressed. It was, head over to quillandfilmproductions.com. What, what did you read that made you depressed? I'm sure this thing that you're talking about with no, Fisher. No, the new thing that I wrote about Carrie Fisher was, I, I think it starts with, like, if you were one of the people who is sad when Lou Reed died in 2013, go out and buy a guitar and make some noise with it. You know, it was like, rather than, like, sitting around and being like, oh, no, we lost an artist. They all stood for something. That's why we're sad they're gone. Go out and do that thing. Carrie Fisher has a really great quote that, um... I found through Facebook. Thank you, Facebook. Mm. Um, she said, I don't want my life to imitate art. I want my life to be art. That is a good It's probably quote. the best way to tie that up with a little bow. Go out and make your lives art. Make good art. Thanks, As Neil. Neil Gaiman would say. Thanks, Neil Gaiman. All right. For Chapman and Robin this week, I'm Max Peterson. And I'm Bird. Holy podcast, Chapman.